0: Welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 110, where we go back Back to the past past. and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and from that special frequency tuned into the microchip that's jammed into the base of your skull.
1: I I told you not to tell anybody about that (laughs)
0: Uh, This issue was suggested by the OG Christopher Hayden Who is uh, at HaydenC89 on Twitter And uh, he wanted us to read Spider-Man and Batman from September 1995 The story is Stanley Presents Disordered Minds Written by J.M.D. Mateus, Penciled by Mark Bagley Inked by Scott Hanna and Mark Farmer or, yeah, Farmer, lettering and book design by Richard Starkings at Comicraft, colors and separation by Electric Crayon, cover artists Mark Bagley and Mark Farmer, uh, cover colorist Steve Buscella, assistant editor Mark Bernardo, consulting editors Dennis O'Neill, Scott Peterson, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, and Darren Vincenzo. Uh, editors Eric Fine and Danny Fingeroth, <laughs> editor in chief Bob Budiansky. Cover price is five ninety five USD, eight thirty five Canada. And this was published by DC Comics and Marvel. Although hey. really more Marvel in this case. But <laughs> this <okay>. time. Yes. <laughs> and,
1: uh... And with uh, 17 editors, I mean, this is going to be some oh, real you know, strict it's continuity. I'm Absolutely, sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but before we find out, let's meet J.M. DiMatteis. Jean-Marc DiMatteis was born December 15, 1953, in Brooklyn, New York. His earliest aspirations were to be a rock musician and comic book artist. He began playing in bands starting in the sixth grade, generally in the role of lead singer, songwriter, rhythm guitarist. He started drawing at a young age, and he was accepted into the School of Visual Arts. He recalled, for some reason, I think it was financial, I ended up not going. Somewhere after that, what little drawing skills I had began to atrophy. And so he turned from drawing to writing. He worked as a music journalist for a time, beginning still while still in school. After writing a negative review of the Grateful Dead's 1980 album, Go to Heaven, published in Rolling Stone, this was issue 323 of that magazine, August 7, 1980, DiMatteis ended his career as a music critic. He explained, Grateful Dead fans are like hardcore comic book fans. You know, and I know uh, that when I sit down to write a review that I'm just some schmuck sitting down at a typewriter with an opinion, but then it's in print in something like Rolling Stone. I got all these letters, which I saved, from all these hardcore Grateful Dead fans wounded. I said, if I'm going to review it all, I'm not going to write negative reviews
0: anymore. And so he pretty much stopped. Uh, DeMatteis got his start in comic books at DC Comics in the late 1970s. His first accepted story was The Lady Killer Craves Blood, but it would not be published until years later in House of Mystery number 282 July 1980 cover date, drawn by Jerry Tala-
2: Talaak. Tallowack. Tallowack. Thank you very <laughs> One much. One of those. Uh,
0: his first published story for the company was The Blood Boat in Weird War Tales, number 70, December 1978, cover date, penciled by Dick Ayers. Demetheus was a major contributor to DC's line of horror comics, notably with the creation of the Creature Commandos in Weird War Tales number 93, November 1980 cover date, and I, Vampire, in House of Mystery number 290, that was a March 1981 cover date. He briefly wrote the Aquaman feature in Adventure Comics number 475 to 478, September through December 1980 cover dates, as well uh De and Brian Artist Brian Boland produced a backup story titled Falling Down to Heaven in Man of Xanadu Special Number 1 in 1981. This was DC's first attempt at marketing comics specifically to the direct market of fans and collectors by uh, using a bunch of inventory stories left (laughs) unpublished due to prematurely canceled books. That was one way to do it, but okay. Yeah, why not? Um, Following roughly a year at Marvel Comics in which editor-in-chief Jim Shooter kept him busy with odd jobs and fill-ins, in 1980, uh, J.M. DeMatteis began writing The Defenders, beginning with number 92, February 1981, cover date, penciled by Don Perlin. He remembers, I'd always been a big fan of this series, especially the Steve Gerber era, because of its barrier-crashing-anything-goes gr- barrier sensibility. That said, I certainly didn't lobby for the gig. Ed Hannigan was writing the book at the time and doing a fine job of it. So I was very surprised when I walked into Jim Shooter's office one day and he told me I was taking over Defenders, because he said, I know you like Doctor Strange. Which is true. I love Doctor Strange
1: <laughs> J.M.D. Matthias wrote lots of Captain America From 1981 through 1984 With a uh, penciler Mike Zeck And also Marvel team-up from 1981 to 83 But he was best known at this point for his nearly Unbroken run on The Defenders like we mentioned That was issues 92 through 118 and then 120 through 131 uh, We're talking years 1981 through 84 here uh, He worked on a bunch of Ghost Rider issues 82 to 83 with a uh, penciler Bob Budiansky. Having enjoyed their working relationship, DeMatteis wrote a Prince Namor the Submariner limited series drawn by Budiansky that ran four issues uh, September through December 1984. He had uh, mixed feelings about the series itself and said the one part of which he was unres- unreservedly proud was uh, to take a look into Namor's years as an amnesiac homeless man. If you remember, uh, his first appearance in the Silver Age was being discovered yeah. very, very shaggy by the Fantastic Four uh DMTs and Illustrator John J Muth uh, or Muth created the graphic novel Moonshadow that ran from 1985 through 87 and came out through Marvel's Epic line. This should be the first fully painted American comic or at least so the claim goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, DiMatteis followed this with the 1986 Doctor Strange graphic novel called Into Shambhala that was drawn by Dan Green, and then he also did Blood: Colon, a tale, a, a hallucinatory vampire story, which was drawn by Kent Williams.
0: Was that for Marvel that second one? I, 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 that was DC. Oh, DC. All right. Yeah. Uh, so DiMatteis and Mike Zeck reteamed for the Cravens' Last Hunt arc that ran from October through November 1987, throughout Marvel's three Spider-Man titles happening at the time. This is one of the most revered and collective arcs and Marvel Comics history, they refer to it all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even recently, I saw a reference to it in a Marvel comic. Uh, moving back to DC, Damataeus succeeded Jerry Conway as writer of the superhero team. The title Justice League of America, beginning with issue number 256, November 1986 cover date. He used a pen name, Michael Ellis, on his first issue of the series. He stayed through its relaunch as Justice League International, scripting over the plots of Keith Giffen beginning in issue number 7, November 1987, cover date penciled by Kevin Maguire. The success of Justice League International led to a spinoff in 1989 titled Justice League Europe, also co-written with Giffen and featuring art by Bart Sears. The giffen DeMatteis team worked on Justice League for five years and closed out their run with the breakdown storyline in 1991 and 1992. Back at Marvel, DeMatteis again succeeded Conway, this time as writer of The Spectacular Spider-Man beginning with number 178, July 1991 cover date drawn by Sal Buscema. The story arc The Child Within, which ran in issues 178-184, to 184, featured the return of the Harry Osborne Green Goblin. DiMatteis took over from David Michelini as writer of The Amazing Spider-Man, beginning with number 390 in June 1994 cover date, and continuing to number 406 with an October 1995 cover date. During this run, Anne May would die. But it, did, it didn't last too long, don't worry. Oh, <laughs> It also <laughs> included the beginning of that Clone Saga arc, and say, right around that same time... <laughs> He wrote this very book we're going to be talking about but, uh, And
1: I wanted to add that uh, The Blood of Tail did come out Through Epic first, but it was reprinted By Vertigo later on, the uh, same thing happened With Moonshadow
0: interesting. Oh, I do I, yeah. I, I that about Moonshadow, but uh, A hallucinatory vampire tale, I have to say I'm interested, I'm a little bit yes. interested in that <laughs> uh, Anyway, so uh, Across the table, on the art side, we have Mark Bagley, born August 7th 1957 in Frankfurt, Frankfurt Germany, into a Military family he worked for the military while attending the Ringling College of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida. While working a construction job, he suffered a severe injury to his leg while using a handsaw that required 132 stitches. Uh, almost like he lost his leg, as far as I hey, yeah. <laughs> It sounds like uh, he wound up working for defense contractor Lockheed Martin making technical drawings.
1: Uh, Marvel Editor-in-Chief at the time, Jim Shooter, would create the Marvel Tryout book in 1983. This was an attempt to attract new talent. Uh, There were several exercises in the book, including a deconstructed comic story that could be completed and submitted. At the time, Bagley was 27 years old and living in Marietta, Georgia. He had all but given up on his dream of working in comics. He was reluctant to enter the contest because of the cost of this tryout book. The tryout book came with a $12.95 cover price. His buddy Cliff Biggers, uh, himself a comic book writer and sometimes journalist, he went and got the book for Mark. Bagley would win first place in penciling and finished ahead of thousands of others. After winning the contest, he didn't hear from Marvel for several months. Uh, Mark approached Shooter at a comic convention. Uh, Bagley was uh, then assigned to a series of low-profile penciling gigs. Including uh, that Strike Force Mori Tori Oh right (laughs) Yes, uh, also the six issue Visionaries miniseries That ran from November 1987 through September 1988 This was a uh, toy tie-in Which was published through the Star Comics imprint Uh, He did some some of the books in the New Universe line He uh, did a few backup stories in Captain America And also the first series of Marvel Universe trading cards in 1990
0: which is actually quite a huge gig at the time I uh, Yeah, like absolutely it was, it was almost like doing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four and everything else for that sure. t- period uh, Also in 1990, Mark was assigned to that New Warriors series He drew the first 25 issues of New Warriors, leaving to work on Amazing Spider-Man after Eric Larson's departure from Marvel His first issue was Amazing Spider-Man number 351, that is September 1991 cover date uh, Mark and David Michellini introduced the character named Carnage in the Amazing Spider-Man number 361, April 1992 cover day. We'll be talking more about him later. Mm-hmm. Bagley produced the Venom Lethal Protector limited series in 1993, and he was mixed up in the Maximum Carnage and Clone Saga storylines, which ran through the Spider-Man titles, which put him in the perfect position to draw this very book. Indeed.
1: Now let's meet uh, the stars of the book. We'll start with Spider-Man. Peter Parker, Spider-Man, he first appeared in Amazing Fantasy number no. 15 at an August 1962 cover date by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. He was a shy high, little, shy high school student who was bitten by a radioactive spider one day while on a school trip. This gave him the ability to climb walls and have the proportional strength of a spider. He built wrist-mounted web shooters in order to complete the arachnid style. Initially, he planned to exploit his power for fame Fortune, but when a two bit thief that he let run by him winds up murdering his Uncle Ben, he learns that with great powder comes great sponsibility. Couldn't have said it better myself Uh, (laughs) Across the street from him is Batman Bruce Wayne, The Dark Knight of Gotham City He would first appear in Detective Comics number 27 May 1939 cover date by Bob Kane with Bill Finger Taking a dark alley home from a theater one evening The Waynes find themselves beset by a two-bit thief with a gun Things go screwy when the hood kills little Bruce Wayne's parents Right in front of him Bruce resigns to owning his physical and mental self to perfection, and then to don the costume of a bat and fight crime for...
0: Liminals are a corollary and stupid stitches slot! Perfect. Something like that, right. Uh, So, (laughs) now that we've met the uh, core players, let's jump right into Spider-Man and Batman Disordered Minds. The cover shows Spider-Man and Batman posed on a building, looking at the reader sort of menacingly. A bat signal with a spider webbing in it shines in the background, kind of combining the spider signal and the bat signal. Uh, The inside cover has the credits and this quote. We do not have to visit a madhouse to find disordered minds. Our planet is the mental institution of the universe. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe.
1: Johann von Goethe was a German writer and statesman who lived from August 28, 1749 to March 22, 1832. His works include four novels, uh, epic and lyric poetry, prose and verse dramas, memoirs and autobiography, literary and aesthetic criticism, and treatises on botany, anatomy, and color. There are also numerous literary and scientific fragments, more than 10,000 letters, and nearly 3,000 drawings by him still existing.
0: Yeah, he's, he's a
1: pretty busy fella.
0: A busy guy. This is back in yeah. the early days of science though, when anybody could crack at it, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our story begins with a dream. Peter is remembering part of his origin story when his Uncle Ben was killed by that crook. In this dream version, it appears to take place in Uncle Ben's bedroom, and Aunt May is there looking horrified. The whole thing is sort of distorted and exaggerated and colored very red.
1: Yes, Spider-Man narrates. He goes, All I want to do is stop the fear, stop the pain, stop the death. So why is it that I never succeed?
0: Spider-Man bursts through the window, which is open in the last panel, and grabs Uncle Ben's killer by the throat. The killer is laughing and smiling broadly, while P- and while Peter clutches his throat, he turns into the Joker.
1: Mm, he continues his narration. He's not some supervillain. He's just a common burglar. An ordinary man, isn't he? But how can an ordinary man do what he's done? How can an ordinary man pull a trigger and destroy a world? Look at him, laughing at me. Always laughing. He knows I can't do anything to stop him. He knows that no matter how many times I revisit this terrible place, that this terrible night, my world will keep dying and everything I hold dear, everything that has meaning, will dissolve into chaos.
0: Well, you know, I think you can blame Marvel's editorial staff for some of that kind of messed up all, your life.
1: All seventeen of them,
0: yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> They're all conspiring against him. Uh, the Joker first appeared in Batman number one, April twenty fifth, nineteen forty, on sale date, and was created by Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and Jerry Robinson. The Clown Prince of Crime was a criminal that wore a red helmet, who fell into a vat of chemicals and it turned his hair green and his skin chalky white. Uh, it also turned him into a psychopathic mass murderer, so that was mm, that was also mm-hmm, kind of a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter wakes up in his bed with a start-looking shocked, like he was goosed with a poker. Mary Jane is in the bed next to him now. Mary Jane Parker, formerly Watson, is Peter's wife. How he got to it is a long story, but let's we'll, we'll say that they're married. That's all we really need to know <laughs> yeah. right here, to be honest with you. Although... We would be remiss not to mention that a mock ceremony was held in Shea Stadium with Stanley officiating on June 5th, 1987. Uh, We mention this every time we talk about Peter and Mary Jane's marriage, and we probably always will. (laughs)
1: Always will, yes. Uh, Now, a caption helpfully explains that this story happened before the events in Spectacular Spider-Man number 229, October 1995 cover date. That issue was written by Tom DeFalco with pencils by Sal Buscema, and this was the issue where the clone saga was supposed to conclude. Peter would hand the Spider-Man duties over to Ben Reilly, then disappear into the Oregon woods with his wife and soon-to-be child. Presumably that's where things were when this was written, and possibly when it hit the stands, but clearly things did not stay that way. (laughs) You can uh, can go check out episode 24 of this very series, The Cosmic Treadmill, in the archives for more on that. Uh, Back to the story, Mary Jane comforts her husband and is supportive when he says that uh, he's got to go get some air, which is code for uh, going out and slinging
0: some web. That's right. Mary Jane is cool like that. Uh, Spider-Man takes to the night to contort wildly in the air and provide some copious narration. Yes.
1: Love. That's the key, isn't it? If Aunt May and Uncle Ben hadn't taken me in after my parents died, given me so much love and support, I might have grown to be a bitter angry... I might have grown to be bitter, angry, hard.
0: He might have become a bat? Ooh. Maybe.
1: (laughs) Even after that night, when I let the burglar go, never suspecting that he'd later break into our house, murder Uncle Ben, I didn't surrender to despair. I couldn't.
0: Yeah, you were a really callous teenager back then. You're just like, whatevs.
1: And also, that's not the way it happened,
0: right? No, not really, but (laughs) that's another thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He continues his narration. I had May as my example. She held tight to hope. To her belief that, however short our time is, however many tragedies we may face, as long as we have family, people that we cherish and love, life will always be worth living.
0: Sucks to be you, lonely people. (laughs) Rub it in, why don't you?
1: (laughs) And I pray for both Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Live up to her example.
0: Well, if you can retire to your own single-family home in Forest Hills, Queens, I'll say you have done pretty well for yourself. So, really well. Pat yourself out. on the back there, and may you did <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah. Also, kind of, it's funny when we're going through this. I actually had to ask you. I was like, <laughs> I was like, Uncle Ben, he got murdered in a warehouse, didn't he? But uh, the origin has been changed strangely here for some reason where it happened in their bedroom and Aunt May was there, apparently. I don't really understand, but...
1: I thought it was like the street, and then who knows?
0: <laughs> and eventually, eventually he catches up to the guy in a warehouse. It's like, I remember yeah. the panel like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. but uh, it kills Uncle Ben in the street. Anyway, so that's a whole long thing. Yeah. Let's just say they've changed it for this uh, c- combination of... Uh,
1: all them. Batman. All them
0: editors can't be wrong. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> That that really is the part that makes me wonder, you know what I mean? Like there was so nobody said, wait a second, this didn't happen this way. I mean, sheesh. Uh, anyway. So now we go to Bruce Wayne's version of the opening dream,
1: yeah, you knew it was coming. Yeah. Uh, same kind of deal. The artwork is really exaggerated, but it is all colored blue. We see little Brucey Wayne and his parents. uh, Little Brucey Wayne sees his parents murdered, and he kneels by their bodies, tears streaming from his eyes. And, you know, pearls everywhere. Uh, The killer is grinning madly.
0: Yeah, Batman narrates to say, How many times have I heard the cocked gun? My father's helpless cry. The blast of thunder. The thud of my mother's body on the pavement.
1: By this time? At least 500?
0: I would say at least. We might be getting up into the four digits here. I think so. And why am I always too late to save them?
1: Well, you didn't exist then, Batman. Yeah. Uh, are, you, are you not seeing the same dream we're seeing? I
0: mean, did you think a 10 year old boy was supposed to do something here? I mean, I don't understand.
1: Maybe like on Earth 47 or something he did, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think he did yeah. Uh Now, actually, back to the story Batman does come from the shadows and he pounces on the hoodlum. Batman grabs him by the throat, shoves him against the wall, but the killer is grinning and laughing, turning eventually into.
0: Carnage. Mm, Batman narrates. Just a punk with a gun, the kind of two-bit hoodlum I chew up and spit out without working up a sweat. But I can never stop him. Time and again, I find myself on the street corner, rage and hate boiling in my veins, and he just laughs. A common punk? No, he's death itself. He let me go that night, left me there, terrified, caked in my parents' blood. But he's been stalking me ever since. Waiting for the day when I let my guard down, and he could finish what he began on that dark and awful night.
1: Now, Peter's Cassidy, better known as Carnage, he would first appear in full in Amazing Spider-Man 361, April 1992 cover date by David Michelini and Mark Bagley. The origin story, uh, whew, it's a little complex. <laughs> Uh, so during Secret Wars Peter Parker picked Picked a peck of uh, new uh,
2: <laughs> Say that five times <laughs>
1: <fast>. <laughs> Peter Parker picked up a new black and white costume Which was spun from alien threads On Battleworld Now it turned out that this costume was actually a symbiotic alien Which had bonded with Peter And was making him sling webs at night While he was asleep With the help of Reed Richards Peter was able to divorce from the symbiote but it breaks out and bonds with former journalist and suicidal Spider-Man hater Eddie Brock to become the slavering monster Venom. Venom and Spider-Man tangle plenty of times because, uh, you know, the, the value on those keep going up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure they are about to again. Uh, eventually, Eddie is separated from the symbiote and winds up in jail, and he shares a cell with Cleo Cassidy. The symbiote shows up to rescue Eddie, and it leaves a little... Poop lit in the cell, I guess we could say, and, and that bonds with Cassidy, and they become Carnage, so, uh, and Carnage is, by nature, much more vicious and murderous than Venom, and he's also uh, quite a bit more goopy-looking, I guess?
0: Yeah, like, so it's always, like, things slinging off, and plus he's, he's more yeah. red, he's like red and black, and yes. Venom is black and white, and big mouth, they both have big mouths, so. Yeah. So, uh, Bruce Wayne has no wife to wake up next to, just a large four-poster bed in a spacious mansion just outside of Gotham City. He does have a picture of his mom and dad by his bedside, though, so that's nice. Uh Uh, With no one around to have an opinion about it either way, Bruce suits up to do the Batman thing.
1: Frankly, I have no idea why he's sleeping at night anyway, really. really. That's when he works. Uh, His butler, Alfred, does show up just as Batman takes off.
0: As he's uh, swinging around, Batman narrates... The dream. I should be used to it by now. After all, I've been dreaming of it every night since I was a child.
1: I gotta think you'd almost be bored of it by now, right? I'm pretty
0: bored of it, and I've only just seen it 500 times, Yeah, it's like you'd you'd
1: want your money back (laughs) from the same film every night, right?
0: Every night, waking up alone in this cavernous home, my screams echoing back at me, not the screams of a man, but of a boy.
1: Well, now, now it kind of makes sense that Alfred came running into the room, right?
0: I was going to be like, uh, you have a boy in here, Master? You did, know what's going on? Say, did,
1: did Chris Hansen pop his head out of the bathroom? <laughs> you know. I don't
0: know. Have a seat, Bruce. <laughs> a boy who still misses his mother and father with every fiber of his being. But the truth is, that boy died years ago. Swept away with his parents in a flood of blood and bullets. That, no, since that night, I've been a man. With a mission The mission of a boy Hey, (laughs) look (laughs) at
1: that While soaring above Gotham City's rooftops Batman uh, Well, he ruminates a little bit more
0: He does a lot of this But it's all on caption Spider-Man talks aloud Batman's always narrating Oh, sometimes I wonder what life would have been like Had they lived would I have grown up to be someone different, someone lighter of spirit, with my mother's laughter, my father's kindness?
1: Only I had a little brother to give noogies and wedgies
0: oh. to. Oh, but what is the point of wondering? I am what I am, what fate made me.
1: For legal reasons, we must state that it is Bruce con- Bruce's compulsive need for to revenge and not Dr. Fate that created the Batman.
0: That's right. Don't don't go blaming him. Mm -hmm. From dawn till dusk, a lie named Bruce Wayne From dusk to dawn, a truth called the Batman And nothing can ever change that so it's like that, then. Oh, uh, wow. Well, yeah. I hate this Batman. I, yeah, yeah. I, I like it the other way around, but that's fine, whatever.
1: Yeah. We'll, it, we'll, we'll pretend this is out of continuity, despite the <laughs> 57 editors on it.
0: Um, we jump over to the
1: Ravencroft Institute, where Dr. Ashley Kafka and Spider-Man stand before Cletus Cassidy, held in some glass egg, the symbiote swarming over him, but not going full carnage. Yeah. Uh, he is, of course, taunting them, though.
0: Yeah, he, in like a partial Cletus form, he says, I have to say, Dr. Kafka, that I love all this attention. You know, when I was a little boy, mommy and daddy ignored me. That's why I grew up to be bad. Just a poor kid who wants someone to pay attention to him.
1: Well, buddy, you sure came at the right era of comic books you then, didn't
0: you? Or sure <laughs> did. <laughs> and now you got me to admit that, I guess I'm cured. So why don't y'all let me out of here?
1: Oh, well, we might as well just release it.
0: Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute! No, 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 no.
1: Uh, Cletus continues to taunt Spider-Man and Dr. Kafka with more fake tales of his childhood.
0: You can't make me sane, Doctor. You can't hope to redeem me. All you can do is kill me. Because if you don't, I'll break out of here. You have my word on that. And the blood.
1: Here, he finally turns fully into carnage.
0: The glorious blood will flow like wine.'"
1: Carnage bursts free of his glass egg by simply shattering it.
0: "'Yeah, maybe next time you don't pattern your jail "'after one of nature's most fragile objects, right? "'You know, maybe (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that wasn't (laughs) a good idea.'"
1: (laughs) "'No, probably not. "'Dr. Kafka was, "'Impossible! "'He shouldn't have been able to break out of the cage.'"
0: Ah, but that's what I keep telling you, Doctor. I'm a walking impossibility.
1: If we want to be technical, you're more of an oozing impossibility,
0: really. Kind of like, kind of like something that fell out of a slot bucket, if you ask me. Yeah, it's like yeah. rules and logic simply don't apply when it comes to me. It's- Spider-Man says, maybe not,
1: Cassidy But let's see what happens when I apply my fist To your smirking face
0: well, That's some science right there mm. uh, Spidey carries out this little experiment And it is effective <laughs> Spider-Man keeps hammering away at Carnage Not letting him recover uh, and Then the military guards, under the direction of Colonel Jameson Fire some nullifying stuff at Carnage And he is nullified
1: Mm-hmm Glad you had your security guys standing by with microwave guns, Doc. I don't know how much longer I could have contained him. And Kafka goes, But these high-intensity heat waves only neutralize Cassidy's symbiote for short periods of time. The only way we can truly neutralize Carnage's threat is
0: through
2: his mind.
0: And then a blonde lady shows up out of nowhere and says,
2: Forgive me for being so blood, Doctor, but this animal's beyond therapy. It's sheer delusion. If not megalomania on your part to think you can save him. Oh, but you can?
1: Also, who are you, and uh, how did
2: did you get inside this one? What's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. The name is Cassandra Breyer. I'm a favorable psychologist, and I've been appointed by a congressional committee to deal with Cletus Cassidy and others like him.
1: Spider-Man goes, deal? How? Kafka (laughs) goes, working with various government research groups, Ms. Breyer has developed what she claims, a biotechnic cure for insanity.
0: She she is a doctor, you know.
2: Yeah, Ms. Briar, what's up with that? Yeah, That's kind of messed you up. you got
0: to
1: be a little bit more formal there.
2: <laughs> I don't claim anything, doctor. It's true.
1: See, at least she had the decency to call you a doctor and
2: pay it back. Really? Uh, you both went through the lot of school. Uh, hmm. We simply insert a small computer chip into the cerebral cortex, which suddenly alters, alters the aberrant brain waves,
1: Turning him into a mindless drone. And for legal reasons, we must state that the patient retains his mind and any drone-like behavior is a result of the computer chip.
0: I think they knew that already. Uh, so Never be too sure. But be get true. The lawyers are always <laughs> breathing down our neck. Uh, there's nothing that can be done about it now. The procedure on Cletus Cassidy is already underway. Dof- Dr. Kafka points out that it's nothing more than high tech lobotomy. And come to think of it, a classic lobotomy would probably be a lot cheaper, right? Just, sure. Just a little Absolutely. needle in the eye and we're done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Spider Man has some issues with the way things are going down here.
2: I didn't invite debate on a subject, and I didn't invite you. In fact, I want you off the premises before...
1: I invited him, Mr. Ms. Brier. He deserves to be here.
2: Just like a certain
0: behavioral psychologist deserves to be called doctor.
1: Maybe maybe she just has a PhD. Come uh, maybe, on. Maybe, you know maybe Kafka has a problem with the PhD. <laughs> uh, she continues, Spider-Man knows more about Cassidy than anyone. He's risked his life against him dozen times over.
2: Exactly my point. A dozen times over. And even he couldn't stop that lunatic. Well, mark my words, both of you He's being stopped tonight
1: Cletus Cassidy is strapped onto an operating table Eyes pried open with hooks There's also some robotic arms with uh, pointy ends closing in on him Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man thinks to himself that if this works on Cletus Cassidy Then it's probably going to be applied to other psychotic criminals For instance, could it be
0: the Joker? Mm, possibly, speaking of whom He's, uh, dressed as a classic Harlequin clown standing on a Gotham City rooftop with a cage full of bats. The bats, they're infected with something really bad.
1: As usual, yes. The Joker says, and let me see if I can do this here. Now I've had some clever ideas in my time, but this is so brilliant even I'm amazed at myself. And I don't amaze easily. All I have to do is unlock this itty-bitty cage, send my winged beauties flying all over the spires of Gotham, and then the whole city will be going
0: absolutely batty! And speaking of batty...
1: Batman comes gliding in, and he kicks the Joker right in the face, and he also grabs that cage of bats before it drops.
0: Forget it, Joker. Did you actually think you'd win this one, that I'd let you infect millions of people with the virus you injected into those bats?
1: Well, actually, I did. I mean, you've been on my tail for weeks now, and I've been outwitting you, outrunning you. Another 30 seconds and my madness plague would have begun. Think of it. Every man, woman, and child in Gotham, as loony as I am.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, we've all thought of it. You've attempted this exact same plan about 500 times before.
1: Like half of his appearances, right? Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Joker continues. (sighs) Oh, well, I suppose you're going to beat me up now.
0: I won't lay a glove on you if you come quietly.
1: Sorry, old pal. It's just not my style.
0: And then the Joker bites Batman hard on the neck. Uh, Very romantic, (laughs) Really. Uh, Batman lashes out and renders him unconscious with a backhand swat. Over at Arkham Asylum, the Joker is sitting in a cell, trussed up in a straight jacket, laughing maniacally, feeling pretty comfortable probably. Yeah. Jeremiah Arkham, who is the guy running the dis- Arkham Asylum at the moment, is watching on a closed-circuit camera.
1: And Dr. Kafka, Drs. Kafka and Briar are also hanging around.
2: If I may be blunt, Dr. Arkham, your asylum has failed miserably where the joke is concerned.
1: Yeah, and your kid's ugly, too.
2: <laughs> I've read all your files, and it's clear that no therapy can crack the walls around that psyche. Is there
1: a point to all this, Ms. Breyer? Or are you simply fond of belaboring the obvious?
0: You know, maybe she feels the need to assert herself so bluntly because no one would refer to as Doctor. You think right? might have something to do with it here? <laughs> I mean, this woman made a she's computer got, chip. For she's God got sake. something to prove, yeah. She really does.
2: The point, Doctor, is that I can help you and the people of Gotham City. My biotechnic chip will will rehabilitate the Joker in a way that...
1: The only rehabilitation for the Joker is to keep him locked away here for the rest of his days. I've read your reports, your outrageous claims, but frankly, we don't go in for psychological fads here at Arkham.
0: Nope, just the classic padded cells and straitjackets for us.
1: Oh, we like it vanilla here.
0: It was, good. Uh, it was good enough for my grandpappy. Good enough for mm-hmm. you. <laughs> now,
1: Dr. Arkham says he'll need to uh, see proof before he allows such a thing at his asylum. And Dr. Breyer opens his office door, where a placid, timid Cletus Cassidy strolls in in handcuffs. He's got two guards behind him.
2: The guards, I assure you, are unnecessary. My. Friend of Doctor Kafka insisted on them because she, like you, is full of doubt.
1: Worth noting, she's also full of beef jerky, but that's due to
0: an entirely unrelated matter. That's a whole different issue. We'll cover that
2: mm-hmm. another time. Yeah, I think so. My chip has not only calmed the aggressive centers of his brain, but it's forced the symbiote into a state of dormancy. With no violent emotions to feed off of, it is essentially trapped within Cassidy's body and utterly tame.
1: And from everything we've learned from reading comics, mm-hmm. once you trap a symbiote, it stays put forever. You it, never I, it, need
0: to worry about it again. It to escape, yeah, how it possibly go away, yeah. It's
1: true. Uh, Dr. Briar faces Cletus and holds his chin so his eyes can meet hers. And he seems uh, awfully shy about it.
2: Cletus! Cletus, look at me! And he says, no, no, I don't wanna. Look at me! You see how hard it is for him? He's become such a cow, timid soul, that to raise his eyes and face another human being is almost painful.
1: You might also want to do something about that piece of spinach stuck in your teeth, M.S., <laughs> I mean, Dr. <laughs> yeah, <really.
0: laughs> Well, that's proof enough, apparently, because in short order, Dr. Breyer gets congressional authority to slap a brain chip into the Joker. Dr. Breyer presents Cletus and the Joker, still both handcuffed, but looking very timid and almost even frightened at a press conference in front of Arkham Asylum. They're both wearing drab tan suits.
1: Batman is also there, but he's disguised as one of the guards. Mm-hmm.
2: I want to see the Jokers and Carnages remade into functional members of society.
1: Barring that, we can at least turn him into a... Human vegetables, right? Something
2: like that, you know, it's huh. one or the other uh, She continues I want the people of Gotham And every city in America To no longer fear the night
1: Later, Dr. Briar, Cletus, and the Joker Are driving away from the event With an entourage of guards riding along
0: Yeah, Dr. Briar wouldn't let him in her car, though No, the driver
2: goes You're telling me you're not nervous, Miss Briar If I was nervous I wouldn't have asked the armed guards To ride in the other cars And please, call her doctor for crying out loud.
1: You're a driver. You can call her
2: doctor. (laughs) Sheesh! Well, I'm nervous enough for the both of us. No reason to be. I assure you, my chip works. These two are not the men they once were. To all intents and purposes, the Joker and Carnage are... Dead?
1: In the backseat, Cletus's eyes glow red. Then, he skewers the driver with a...
0: The carnage spike yeah, of sorts pointy finger thing, whatever
1: Yeah, another point
0: He ain't cured Nope Buried, Whizbriar. We're not dead yet
1: You know what, uh, you, you, you probably don't need to call her
0: doctor It's yeah, fine We're good we're that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> It's not possible, it's not possible
0: Of course it is, you arrogant idiot my symbi- symbiote Sorted out your little chip Just as soon as you sewed me back up At this time All this time I've been playing the sheep, Waiting for the right moment To explode back into the world He waited
1: until VH1 did a Where are they now special honor
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Now uh, Carnage busts free of the car Holding Dr. Briar and the Joker The guards from the other cars Quickly surround Carnage with guns drawn
0: I'm feeling rather benevolent, said I, gents, and I'm in something of a rush. So back off, and I'll let you live. Go home to your wives and children. Tell them you met death face to face, and he gave you a second chance. Maybe that chip did work right? <laughs> Maybe Because usually you'd
1: have killed these guys right? <laughs> it
0: couldn't, it couldn't hurt. Uh, you take what you can get right? a little, right? Bit, a little progress you can get
1: <laughs> Now one of these guards pulls off his mask To reveal You guessed it, he's Batman Of course he's wearing the cowl under his mask Which is, you know, typical Batman stuff uh, But weirdly He pulls the mask off by pulling down And ripping it from his face in clumps Instead of, you know, peeling it off the normal way.
0: I thought this was so weird. I mean, I'm sure it was all supposed to be latex, you know, whatever. But, it like, yeah. he just got kind of like, grabs it in a club and just rips it off his <laughs> face, leaving the hair on top of it for yeah. a minute and everything. Very strange. <laughs> and Carnage says, Well, well, well. What have we here? The legendary Batman disguised as one of the guards. Guess I'm not the only one who is playing a role today.
1: That's, that's kind of you to mention it, Carnage. But, yes, yeah, so Alfred is actually playing the rabbi in the Gotham City Playhouse production of Fiddler on the Roof today.
0: That's I got tickets uh, just the other day. We we're going to see that this nice. weekend. Yeah. You've been watching me ever since the moment I set foot in Gotham, haven't you? Batman says, let Briar go, Carnage.
1: The Joker, eh, you can keep him. We're not
0: talking concerned You can do whatever you want. <laughs> she wanted to help you. Give you a second chance. If it's blood you're looking for, come after me. Come after me! You don't understand me, friend. I'm not the Penguin or the Riddler or Two-Face. Now you'd probably be more of a Clayface, really. They have like three or four of them, so they probably At least. slot you in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not obsessed with you. Truth is, I couldn't care less about you. To me, one severed artery is really as good as the next. HER BLOOD IS AS TASTY AS YOU! Are.
1: Just then, a web strand lands on Dr. Briar's shoulder with a THWIP, and she gets nyoinked right out of Carnage's arms.
0: NO!
2: WHAT ARE YOU DOING HERE?
1: Funny story, Pete is actually here for a Gotham City Nights game.
0: <laughs> it just happened uh, on the scene. That was pretty weird. <laughs>
1: hey, that's very fortuitous. Uh, now, Spider-Man is against the wall of a nearby building, and he now has Dr. Briar in his arms.
0: I tell you, her pantyhose has got to be streaked with pee by now, right? I mean, she's really been put through it's... the ringer already. Yes. Uh, when While Carnage is distracted, Batman kicks him in the head and severs his hold on the Joker with a batarang. Carnage attempts to fight back, but the combined assault of Spider-Man and Batman Proves to be too much.
1: Though, worth mentioning, Batman still seems a bit uh, unappreciative. I don't
0: need your help, Spider-Man. Looks to me like you do. Boys, boys, don't argue. You've got better things to do with your time.
1: Carnage shoots out a bunch of spikes and tendrils into the nearby crowd, slicing and strangling them as needed. Batman and Spider-Man rush over to save the civilians, and in that moment... Carnage gets away And he also takes the Joker with him
0: Now after they've dealt with the injured folks Spider-Man and Batman hang out on a rooftop and talk
1: Yeah, Spider-Man goes I guess you want to map out some kind of battle plan, huh? Considering Cassidy's history, I think we can
0: What are you doing in my city?
1: Excuse
0: me? What are you doing in my city?
1: Dr. Kafka asked me to come along To keep tabs on Carnage in case
0: I want you gone Now! Excuse me? Are you having trouble hearing her to that mass, Spider-Man? He's, he's Maybe. Speaking he's speaking pretty clearly. Cut out ear holes. Yeah. yeah. Gotham isn't like New York. She has a unique personality and unique dangers. I don't want you getting hurt.
1: Could have sworn Gotham was exactly like New York. <laughs> uh, but but uh, to illustrate Bruce's point here, uh, they've got gangs of ninjas in Gotham comprised entirely of anthropomorphic
0: turtles. That is something unusual. I think New York has it that is. too, though, right? I uh, wonder. <laughs> And I don't want you getting in my way.
1: I'm not here to get in your way. I'm here to help.
0: I told you. I don't need your help. Then there's
1: an uncomfortable stare-off for a couple of panels, and then Batman swings away on his rope.
0: Or want it. Ouch. Girl, mm-mm. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> Sp- Spider-Man goes,
1: Well, like it or not, you're gonna get it.
0: Uh, yeah, he can't hear you anymore. Spider-Man, he's not like Superman. He doesn't have super hearing, so you can't just say things.
1: I know. I I bet he talks about Batman a lot when he's not around. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Now, elsewhere, we rejoin Carnage and a terrified Joker as they arrive at some warehouse.
0: Astonishing, isn't it? What they can do to you when they muck with your brain. Turn a mass murderer at the pinnacle of his career into a squirming little jellyfish. Is that what happened to
1: Corey Feldman?
0: I think so, yeah.
1: I think so, yeah. The Joker goes, I don't want to die!
0: You know, the reason I played dumb for so long was because I wanted to get into Arkham, meet you, work with you. I've admired you from afar, Joker, old boy. Admired your homicidal genius, your shameless depravity.
1: I bet he had, like, a poster of the Joker in his
0: closet door or something. Probably took it out of Word Up magazine, right? That's a likely place you
1: get <laughs> it. <laughs> if you're going to take it to, like, Staples to get it printed out, you're going to get some weird looks, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but look what they've done to you.
1: Carnage jams his pointy-blooded finger into the Joker's nose.
0: The Joker's horrified by this at first, but eventually the familiar grin returns.
1: Out of my way, son! I've got places to go! People to maim! Hold on, hold on. Where am I? Last thing I remember, I was in a cell in Arkham playing canasta with two rats and a
2: cockroach. Now, wait a minute. You can't just... How did I get here? And who the heck are you? Well, I'm... I'm... Doesn't matter.
1: I like your smile. It's my kind of smile. Stop babbling
2: and listen to me.
1: Uh, The Joker notices the drab suit he's wearing.
2: Eek! Where did I get this
1: drab old thing?
2: We
0: have to talk about something here.
1: The Joker then grabs Carnage's wrist and uses his claw hand to shred the suit. Mind if I borrow your claw for half a mo? What are you... Ta-da! Well, what do you think? Be honest. Be brutal.
0: You look like Olivia Newton-John in the music video for Let's Get Physical. Perfect. Is is that brutal enough? (laughs) That does it. I'm going to... Two.
2: (laughs) What am I getting upset about? This is the reason I wanted to hook up with you in the first place. You
1: know, a good manager knows when to let his employees take the reins and be creative. It's it's very
0: important. Yes. Yes. Joker goes. It is. You get the joke. What joke? That life is utterly meaningless, totally absurd, and madness is the only sane response. And you know, Chris, when I first heard that joke It involved a priest, a rabbi, and a 20-foot-tall chihuahua But it is (laughs) essentially the same joke, even though It is,
1: it is, it is Oh, that joke! (laughs) And Carnage and the Joker shake hands on their newfound friendship
0: Joker, my friend, we belong together
1: Please, you'll make me blush!
0: (laughs) In the Batcave, Batman is sitting before the massive triple screens of his Batcomputer on them is a picture of Cletus Cassidy A giant picture of Carnage's face And a picture of Spider-Man fighting Carnage Which hmm. is not really a great use Of what looks to be hundreds of thousand dollars worth of uh, hardware Although no. that's usually what he uses it for Is to look at giant pictures of a whatever villain sing- He's fighting yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Batman is brooding of course uh, Wondering why Carnage spooks him so much Alfred comes walking down the steps Leading from Wayne Manor Holding a tray of tea and sandwiches He comments on the picture of Carnage rendered in 1080p.
1: Quite unusual, isn't
0: he, sir? As ever, Alfred. You're a master of the understatement.
1: I've been reading the files on him. Very little rhyme or reason where he's concerned.
0: Yeah, it seems the character derives initially from a failed line of action figures or something like that. It was a lot lot to get through, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The only pattern he seems to follow is chaos. Even a man with your formidable detective powers might have quite the time trying to predict his next move.
0: So Batman grabs one from a pile of sandwiches that Alfred's prepared and he says, Yes, well, I think I can." finger sandwiches. Is there a problem, sir? Maybe the fact that I'm a billionaire and you're serving me cucumbers and cottage cheese on Wonder Bread, right? I mean, it's cut up nice. Could I get a ham and cheese? <laughs> uh, do you remember what I used to do with finger sandwiches when I was a kid, Alfred? Indeed I do. I spent three days plunging that toilet. Then why in the world would you be serving them to him now? You know like, he doesn't I'm like I'm like
1: not sure what that means. I'm really <laughs> I, not sure what that means.
0: Uh, it could. You're right. It could be taken a few... <laughs> I, I like to think he he flushed the sandwiches down the toilet, but there I are so. other I interpretations so. of that. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. I'll pick up something while I'm out. And it really is always a throw for the employees When they see the Batmobile and the McDonald's drive-thru They're like, woo,
1: Batman Especially since smartphones came around, that's awesome It's
0: it's true, yeah
1: (laughs) Try the Happy Meal, sir, I hear it's simply Exquisite
0: See, even Alfred knows It's, it's It's a big thing in Gotham City They all cheer for it when he shows up So, meanwhile, Spider-Man's flipping around Gotham City, thinking that maybe he will just leave if he's not wanted. Plus, it's going to take a week to get the DC Comics stink out of his costume.
1: They do smell different. Uh, Just then, he sees a knife-wielding man chasing a woman down a dark alley.
2: Oh, God, somebody, please! He's going to kill me! He's going to kill me! Spider-Man narrates
1: the scene. People in that apartment building, by their windows, listening. Watching, but no one's doing anything How can they just stand there like that When someone needs help? How? The same way I once ignored a cry for help Let a thief run past me That same man later murdered my Uncle Ben
0: Yeah, but to be fair You were holding a water cash at the time So It's true You, it's true. <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> we jump back to the darkened alleyway
0: Yeah, the murderer says You're right, I'm gonna kill you, witch Gonna cut out your pretty little heart but before I do... And with a thwap, Spider-Man shoots some webbing and immobilizes the guy's knife-holding hand.
1: You're gonna shut your big, bad mouth and drop your big, bad knife!
0: Uh, you sort of made that impossible, man, by, by right. binding up his like hand with the webs. Binding it, yeah. Don't come any closer, man, or I'll take you down, too! Look,
1: just give up, or this is gonna get really embarrassing. Never! Turns out to be
0: really embarrassing. Yeah, for him. Uh, The would-be murderer is webbed up against a wall upside down. I told
1: him it was going to get embarrassing. You okay,
2: miss? Yes, I am now. You're Spider-Man, aren't you? What are you doing here in Gotham?
1: Sheesh, everyone rolls out the welcome
0: wagon in this city, huh? No, No tourists allowed. Get out (laughs) of (laughs) here.
1: Let's just say I'm here helping a friend.
0: The Batmobile pulls up with a screech And the canopy opens up to reveal Batman in the driver's seat He says, get it, please
1: I said the magic word Uh, (laughs) Now over at the Joker's old hideout He and Carnage are rummaging Through his collection of campy antiques To find more of that insanity virus
0: And he does find some Along with some jacked-in-the-boxes With Joker clowns inside
1: those are nice to have. <laughs> so what, what we're going to do is spray hundreds of these little Joker in the boxes with the virus and hide them among the warehouse of toys that the Wayne Foundation will be giving away to needy tots this Christmas. And then on Christmas morning, when all the kitties open their presents...
0: Carnage lashes out and destroys the Joker in the box that the Joker is holding.
2: Hey, I wasn't finished! Oh,
0: yes, you are. Stupid plans. Stupid man. So you spread your little plague, and then the people of Gotham start to go insane. Eventually, die slow and horrible deaths. What a monumental waste of time.
1: Ah, but that's how you fill out a trade paperback collection, young man.
0: (laughs) You got a lot to learn, Curtis. (laughs) The fun of killing you, moron, is in the immediacy. In hearing them plead for mercy as you stand over their bloody bodies, peeling off their skin.
1: I tell you, today's generation really has no patience.
0: Uh, really?
1: When, when we were kids, we were all
0: about that. Uh, <laughs> the Joker says, Bleh! How utterly distasteful! And gross, too! I thought you had the stomach for death, Joker. Guess I was wrong. It's not a question of stomach, my friend. It's a question of style. The Joker uses his walking stick to rocket away to a higher level, away from carnage.
1: Any idiot, nothing personal, of course, can go out and slaughter a few thousand people. But where's the laughter and tears? The handstands and histrionics? In short, my dense and sanguine pal, where's the theater? I always thought of myself as the Orson Welles of crime and chaos. While you apparently aspire to be nothing more than David Hasselhoff?
0: Hey, now, I hear Hasselhoff is huge in Germany, so...
1: It's just because of him that the Berlin Wall came down. That's what I say, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Alas, poor carnage. I thought we had the makings of a classic team. But, hard as it is to believe, I was
0: wrong. I mean, he really seemed more interested in teaming up than you did, Joker. So I don't. Right. See
1: what... he, he just wanted—he just wanted a means to get back to his old costume.
0: Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, Carnage lunges at the Joker angrily, but the Harlequin of Hate vanishes through a trap door and into the sewers. He emerges outside of the hideout, which turns out to be a dilapidated old Roxy Theater. He clicks the nose of a smiley face button, and the theater explodes with a bada boom. Well, so much for the competition. Competition. He wanted to join forces with you. Do you not understand how that works? What's what, I don't think Joker knows what a team is. I think that's the problem here. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, Batman and Spider-Man are in the Batmobile, speeding off to somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, and it's time for Batman to eat himself some humble pie.
0: I apologize for letting my emotions get in the way earlier i realized with a little help from a friend that studying a mind as full of conflicting contradictory impulses as cassidy's isn't enough i need the benefit of your intimate knowledge of carnage your first-hand experience with them
1: you got all that because alfred served you finger
0: sandwiches Maybe he had a conversation in the McDonald's drive-thru that we didn't see here or something.
1: That must be in the absolute edition. Uh, Spider-Man goes, Yeah, well, I can understand why you need to turn to me for help. I mean, most of the guys do. Captain America, the Fantastic Four. I keep waiting for Superman to call, but he...
0: Batman is not amused by this.
1: It was just a little joke, sir.
0: But an alarm beeps loudly from the Batmobile's console.
1: that the uh, ejector seat.
0: Got him. Who? Cassidy. That biotechnic chip may be neutralized, but it's still in there. And prior to her credit, has the thing tuned to a very special frequency.
1: She had to apply a frequency that wasn't being received by anyone else, so she could she tuned the chip to a Jimmy Buffett satellite radio station. That's right.
0: now with. Ain't nobody listening, listening there. <laughs>
1: uh, they they pull up to that
0: old Roxy theater that the Joker just blew up. <sighs> I've got a feeling these two might not have hit it off as well as we have.
1: You mean that? Or were you just being sarcastic?
0: Well, what does this BBFF pendant tell you?
1: What does uh, BBFF stand for?
0: Best Bat Friends Forever. Oh. Oh, that's so nice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, Spider-Man spots Carnage's sloppy claw sticking out from under some of the rubble. And so Spider-Man lifts a section of wall from Carnage's motionless body.
0: It appears he was no match for the Joker Maybe Maybe
1: I've seen him use this trick before Wrap a piece
0: Wrap a piece of symbiote around a dead body To make you think he's dead
1: Yeah, but you, you know what he never did, Batman? He never cut someone off in the middle of a sentence
0: Because he ain't rude as hell That's what anything yeah. is <laughs> The maximum carnage affair, right?
1: You certainly read bad... I mean, you certainly (laughs) do your homework, don't you?
0: And if you want to do the same homework as Batman, check out the Maximum Carnage 14-part event that ran through the Spider-Man family of titles in 1993.
1: Or don't. Uh, (laughs) Turns out Carnage employed the exact same trick
0: uh, that Spider-Man thought that he might. Guess my trick didn't work. But frankly, it wasn't you I was trying to fool. Batman, move before he... Carnage snatches up Batman by his head and holds a giant spiked finger to his throat. It was that imbecile. Joker. I was sure he'd be back to check on me.
1: Come on, he's just not that into you, dude.
0: Really? Come on. Look like yeah, a let it now. go. Let it go. But happy accident. Uh, things have turned out even better than I'd planned. If you've studied me, Batman, then you'd know that I'm ten times faster than the average man. And that beneath that cape and cowl, you're clearly just that, achingly average. And without your symbiote Cassidy, you're just a common street punk. Oh, really? Well, this street punk is going to do what no man has done before. He's going to kill the bad man. <laughs> but
1: then, Carnage has a change of heart.
0: Could be the Joker was right. Could be. I need to get a little more theatrical.
1: <laughs> wow, Joker really got into your head, huh?
0: <laughs> Dude, <you> know, <laughs> geez. Why don't you just ask the Joker what you want to do next? Because obviously, mm-hmm. that's all that matters. <laughs> what better way to send melodramatic ripples of terror through Gotham than by very publicly executing her protector?
1: I don't know. I, I think that uh, that Joker virus plan would have probably had a similar effect. Same
0: kind of thing, really, just messing yeah. up the whole city. I'll do it tonight, on top of the Gotham towers, with the alerted media out in force. Geraldo Rivera asking my opinions on the pressing issues of the day, as I do the dirty deed.
1: It's a very weird pitch, but i got to admit, it would probably kill in the ratings. I
0: would watch it myself, so yeah. I'd Absolutely. <laughs> Batman isn't going to play anyone's hostage, and he tells Spider-Man to forget his plight and to stop Carnage. Batman says Carnage is going to kill him either way. And then the Joker appears on a rooftop Batman old chum Your self-sacrificing nature Never fails to
1: amaze And sicken me Sorry chili con carnage There's no way I'm gonna let you kill him Or slice and dice your way through Gotham. It's my town and my Batman.
0: Yeah, I mean, really, make a note that Gotham City is incredibly hostile to tourists. Okay. Yeah,
1: good, bad, and different. Just do do
0: not visit. Yeah, Yeah. they they don't. They don't want you. It's their city, their Batman. Uh, The Joker holds one of his Joker in, in the boxes and turns the crank. While smiling menacingly, Spider Man has a flashback to the thief that killed Uncle Ben. In fact, this is something we should sort of address. It's like a full third of this book is Spider Man or Batman, especially Batman, just equating each other's respective villains as germane to their origin story, just constantly flashing back. Constantly. The whole time. It's like a little ridiculous.
1: Now, it's left them powerless to act several times. Uh, the heroes just keep going through PTSD flashbacks while a villain laughs maniacally and delivers a soliloquy uh, over and over again. <laughs>
0: Uh, at least three the times j- each, I, I, for, for real. At, at least. least three times for each of them. And yeah. this
1: is only like 60-something pages. <laughs> I mean, this is... Or 40-something pages. I'm not yep. even sure. Now, the Joker tells Carnage to release Batman, or he will release the virus on Gotham City. He'd rather see his beloved city dead, including himself, than to have Carnage win.
0: Well, that's a pretty petty attitude, I gotta tell sure you. Sure is. Uh, there's sort of a game of chicken here, though, frankly, you'd think that Carnage would just take off and murder elsewhere. I mean... He said before he doesn't care about Batman. This isn't even his city or even his comic book universe. You know, what does what any of this matter to him at all? He could just head uptown and kill the theater crowd. Like, what is, what is the problem all of it. here?
1: Yeah. yeah. Now, ultimately, Carnage blinks first, and the symbiote even starts to pull away from Cletus's face.
0: Yeah, he, as Cletus, he says, Y'all
1: wouldn't dare." This is the opening Batman needed. He kicks Carnage in the jaw with a
0: tract! Spider-Man uses his web-slinger to snatch the Joker in the box from the Joker's gloved hand.
1: As the Joker responds with a, Hey, good aim!
0: Batman pummels Carnage into unconsciousness, all the while working out his own mental connection between Cassidy and the guy that shot his parents. And the Joker runs down an alley. At the end, a spider man face spotlight shines on his back.
1: A spider signal? I hope Commissioner Gordon doesn't hear about this
0: And it is a real thing Created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko It appeared in the first and amazing Spider-Man number 3 July 1963 cover date An obvious parody of the Bat-Signal And over the years there have been Non-stop spider signal flashlights Uh, What's weird is not as many bat signal flashlights When I look into it There's been many more spider signal like different versions of (laughs) like why (laughs) Uh, The Joker turns on Spider-Man And fires his walking stick Which is now all of a sudden an automatic machine gun Hmm. Spider-Man easily kicks it out of the way And he
1: says The only way to stop a sneering animal like you Is to kill you Then go ahead Do it It'll be hilarious, don't you think? A goody
0: two shoes like you murdering a stinker like me! Uh, seems like justice, right? Sort of, yeah. yeah, yeah I think that's, pretty much. That's justified,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: Spider Man has a fist angrily raised, ready to smash it down brutally on a cackling Joker, but then he hesitates.
1: What am I doing? Dear God, what am I doing? Too bad! I thought he had the makings of a decent lunatic!
0: The Joker reaches in for another box in his jacket pocket.
2: Ah, well, once I unleash my vi
0: And then Spider-Man taps the Joker on the shoulder and the Joker turns just in time to get a sock in the face from Spider-Man.
1: Sorry, Joker. I can never kill you or anyone. You see, I've got an example to live up to. A faith I'll never betray. That may not be very funny, but it's true.
0: And if anyone asks, Gwen Stacy would have died upon hitting the water anyway, okay? She would have
1: died twice hitting the water. Scientific fact, yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Spider-Man and Batman meet atop a high water tower. And I mean, like, a really high water tower. It's like 80 stories up in the air.
1: (laughs) they got to protect
0: that water. I guess so. Uh, Joker's always trying to poison it. Sure.
1: Yeah, keep keep the cookie jar up there, right? Uh, Now, uh, they regard each other with apprehension. Then Batman pulls out his hand. The two heroes shake hands and take off in separate directions.
0: Under the light of the Gotham moon, a friendship is born. And even if these men never meet again, it's a friendship that will survive and thrive as long as the legends of Spider-Man and the Batman endure.
1: Not really quite uplifting there. Endure?
0: No, not not a great ending caption, I gotta yeah. admit, you know. As long as we keep writing about him.
1: Yeah, <laughs> if you keep buying the book, <laughs> we, 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 might, we
0: might might continue. <laughs> but, uh, that will do it for That's the, right. uh, that, that wraps Spider-Man
1: up. Batman, yeah.
0: Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, sure. we, we had a lot of fun poking at it, and it has some a little, little gets a little maudlin at times, plus, uh, I thought it was unusual. It was strange, and we talked about this a little before the the episode that uh, you know they reference uh, Peter Parker's continuity, but mm-hmm. don't really ever talk about the fact that like just a couple of years or a year before this, a couple yeah, a couple of years before this, yeah. Batman had his back broken. You know what I mean? And like yeah. a lot of stuff is going on in in Gotham also. Uh, whatever, though, no, it's fine. Obviously, this is in its own kind of, I mentally in its own contained continuity yeah, I, anyway so whenever
1: whenever we read these i'm never like you know the, the source wall is a big thing now uh, in contemporary yeah. dc where like and that's kind of how these meetings would happen sometimes it would be like a cross in the source wall so like a marvel guy would show up in dc or vice versa here it's like gotham batman's gotham and spider-man's new york are a train ride apart
0: right you know and, and that's always so weird and, and like if for example Jeremiah Arkham like the fact that he sees carnage uh subdued is good enough sure. for him when technically he shouldn't even have any idea who that is but yeah again this is this is taking place on you know combined earth yes number <laughs> six one you know six point three or whatever you want to call it one of so uh that's I mean that's good enough for me the art sure. the art is super sharp uh. Oh, it's, it's, barely, yeah. it's all right, you know. When you when you when you break the story out, you're like, eh, ah, you know, it's not exactly brilliant, but it works, and it's actually more of a story about Carnage and Joker, I think, than For Spider-Man sure. and Batman. So uh, it was cool. I was glad to read it. But we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will finish our creator bios and talk about some other crossovers that happened between DC and Marvel over the years. Do you want to
2: introduce yourself? Batman. No, i to myself. Spider-Man. Wow.
1: How does Spider-Man talk?
2: Spider-Man's gonna, gonna fight wally here. Ch- Spider-Man's the opposite of Superman because he has red and blue like Superman. He's the opposite.
1: So who's your enemies?
2: Joker, Lex Luthor, Two-Face, is R-Zero. r loses no as yes as.
1: What about... Um, and yes as no. What about Superman?
2: R-Zero is, is Superman's is Emily.
1: What about you guys? Are you his friends? No. <gasps> So, it's Spider-Man and Batman against the rest. Wow. Where does Batman live?
2: I live in the Batcave.
1: And where does Spider-Man live? Spider-Man? Does Spider-Man sometimes come over to visit you in your Batcave? Is it is
0: secret Hey, welcome back everybody and your disordered minds I hope you've had time to put them in order As we conclude our bio On Demetrius and Bagley Beginning with J.M. Demetrius He helped launch DC's Mature Audience Vertigo imprint Writing the graphic novels Mercy and Farewell And Moonshadow As we said before, it was reprinted from the Epic Comics series And also the other book too the uh, That you mentioned The Blood of Tail, yeah. Blood, yeah So uh, Vertigo was cool like that back then um, Don't know if they do that kind of thing anymore <laughs> Demet- Oh, they give you an imprint now That's all, you get your own imprint <laughs> You so, get your own imprint, uh, <laughs> wrote an autobiographical Digest-sized miniseries Brooklyn Dreams, published by DC's Paradox Press imprint That had four issues, went from 1994 To 19- 1995 And it was later collected in one volume Under Vertigo In the 2000s, Demetrius redefined the specter through the the character of Hal Jordan as a spirit of redemption rather than a vengeance. This ran for 27 issues, March 2001 to May 2003 cover dates. Demetrius also co-scripted the Gods of Gotham storyline in Wonder Woman number 164 to 166, January through March 2001 cover dates with Phil Jimenez. In 2003, with Keith Giffen, he revived the Justice League International for the miniseries, formerly known as the Justice League. That series won Giffen, DiMatteis, and artist Kevin Maguire an Eisner Award. They that team followed this with I Can't Believe It's Not the Justice League arc in JLA Classified and, at Marvel, a five-issue run of The Defenders. DeMatteis teamed with veteran artist Mike Plug to create the cross-gen fantasy comic Abadizad, May 2004 cover date. The following year, Plug and DeMatteis announced they were collaborating on a five-issue miniseries, Stardust Kid, from the Image Comics imprint Desperados Publishing, Uh, but that series moved to Boom Studios in 2006.
1: Also in 2006, DeMatteis and Giffen Began work on two original superhero comedy series yet had Hero Squared and Planetary Brigade Both of those for Boom Studios The Walt Disney Company would acquire A Z for its Hyperion Books For Children imprint that very same year the first two books of the series, Abadazad: The Road to Inconceivable, and Abadazad: The Dream Thief, were released in June 2006. The third book, Abadazad: The Puppet, the Professor, and the Prophet, that one was released in the UK in
0: 2007. How many times will we say Abadazad? That's a question. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, Dimitrescu would become the editor-in-chief of Arden Entertainment in 2008, guiding to uh, the launch of the new Flash Gordon comic book series. He also. Wrote a five issue comic book limited series illustrated by Mike Cavallaro called The Life and Times of Savior 28, that was released by IDW in 2009. In June 2010, DiMatteo's children's fantasy novel, Imaginalis, was published by Catherine Tegan Books, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. That very same year, DiMatteo reunited once again with frequent collaborator Keith Giffen for a run on the comic book series Booster Gold. They did issues 32 through 43. Those were July 2010 through June 2011 cover dates. The team then then teamed up on a DC retroactive JLA the 90s. This was a one shot in October 2011.
0: Cover DC- date. That was the summer before uh, New yes. 52.
1: Yeah. The DC was uh, celebrating their continuity before pulling the, uh, the flusher. Uh, in <laughs> that same year, DeBateus created the all ages fantasy, the adventures of Augusta wind for IDW publishing. And saying that out loud, I, I get it. <laughs> uh, in, in 2013, he took over DC comics, phantom stranger, and also launched, uh, the Larfleas series that ran 12 issues with Keith Giffen. He'd become the writer of justice league dark in October, 2013. And again with Giffen would launch justice league 3000 in December. In 2015, DeMatteis teamed with animation legend Bruce uh, Bruce Timm for Justice League Gods and Monsters. that is a comic book prequel to the animated film. In 2016, Giffen and DeMatteis would launch Scooby Apocalypse for DC Comics. Also that year, IDW published DeMatteis' Augusta Wind sequel, The Adventures of Augusta Wind,
0: The Last Story. I think it would have been The Last Breeze or something would have been the title, but uh, he has written for television both live action and animated series, and he's released one album in the late 1990s, How Many Lifetimes, which if anyone can give us the MP3s of that we would be extremely extremely grateful to hear the Also, you know, I got uh, a couple of things here. The the Gods and Monsters Justice League is something kind of flew under the radar. It's, It's more of an Elseworlds thing. It's all right. I'm just going to leave it there. Sure. It's 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 all right. I would I would recommend giving it a look. So anyway, but to Mark Bagley, in uh, 1997, he could collaborate with Kurt Busiek on the Thunderbolts, and then in 2000, Mark Bagley was assigned Ultimate Spider-Man with writer Brian Michael Bendis. They were on the title for 111 consecutive issues. They beat out Stan Lee and Jack Kirby on Fantastic Four. Bagley collaborated with Bendis on The Pulse in 2004-2006, to 2006, which was a continuation of the Max series, Alias. He drew a four-issue arc on Mighty Avengers, also written by Bendis, in 2007. In 2008, Bagley signed an exclusive three-year contract with DC Comics, and his first assignment was Trinity with Kurt Busiek. He drew some Batman issues written by Judd Winnick, which looked awesome, I thought. Uh, Mark teamed up with James Robinson on Justice League of America beginning in 2009, drawing most of issues 38 to 53. In
1: 2011, Bagley returned to Marvel uh, and Ultimate Spider-Man and Brian Michael Banks. Uh, He would draw the Death of Spider-Man arc that appeared in issues 156 through 160. Mark and Brian teamed up on a creator-owned series in 2011 titled Brilliant, and that was published through Marvel's Icon imprint. While producing Brilliant, they also did Avengers Assemble, which uh, featured more of uh, like a movie-looking uh, team of Avengers. Oh, okay. Uh, they relaunched the Fantastic Four series in 2012. He, I'm sorry, he relaunched the Fantastic Four series in 2012 with Matt Fraction as part of the Marvel Now initiative. Bagley and Mark Wade would collaborate on the Indestructible Hulk in 2014. And he's provided much, uh, part of art for much of the recently ended second volume of All New X-Men privately. Bagley and his wife, Patty, have a daughter.
0: So, that's nice. I, I, to be honest, I'm not positive what he's doing now, but I would be Same here. Yeah. shocked to think that he wasn't working on something regularly. Something, you know, yeah. uh, That's the guy. And, you know, he's, his his take on characters is different than a lot. It's very chunky, but sure. uh, I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sure. the hook for this episode is going to be uh, a history of intercompany crossovers between Marvel and DC. Now, you wouldn't, because I'll tell you, if we did every company, this podcast would never end. Uh, (laughs) So, now, you wouldn't know it today, but Marvel and DC have a long history of producing intercompany crossovers. That practice ended abruptly in the early 2000s for reasons we will be discussing. We're going to start with an intercompany crossover that does not include Marvel because it's just the first of its kind ever. And that was All-Star Comics number three, the winter 1940-1941 cover date. In the story, The First Meeting of the Justice Society of America by Gardner Fox and Everett E. Hubbard is the first meeting of the Justice Society of America. Hey. It's very well named, that that story. Uh, this was actually an intercompany crossover between National Periodicals and All-American Publishers. National had the characters Superman, Batman, and The Flash, but All-American had developed the original Green Lantern, the Atom Red Tornado, and others. And there are others split between them. Uh, Absolutely. Na- Yeah, Uh, National would absorb All-American, though later, and their characters uh, even before the end of the 1940s, so the point is pretty much moot today, but this was the first time.
1: Certainly. Now, between Marvel and DC, the first one is MGM's Marvelous Wizard of Oz in 1975, written by Roy Thomas, with art by John Buscema, John Ramita Sr. on the cover. This is the first comic book co- co-published by Marvel and DC. The Oz par- property had a resurgence in the 1970s, as the original MGM film, The Wizard of Oz, from 1939, had begun airing on television. DC and Marvel were prepared to duke it out for adaptation rights, but then realizing that this would take time and would delay the publication, uh, which would probably tank the book for either publisher, they agreed to co-publish it and each reap some reward instead of one publisher reaping nothing.
0: And can you imagine... Two corporations or two entities of any kind doing that today. <laughs> you know, right. it, it, it's like today, I think that, you know, Sony would have been a death spiral rather than, you know, try to coordinate. But I would cut
1: your nose to spite your face,
0: yeah. I Really, I mean, that seems to be the attitude, although, you know, they did collaborate on that. Other, anyway, whatever. So uh, <laughs> Superman versus The Amazing Spider-Man, The Battle of the Century came out in 1976. This was by Jerry Conway and Ross Andrew, with assists by Neil Adams and John Romita Sr. on The Faces. Uh, In the early 1970s, author and and literary agent David Obst suggested to Marvel Comics publisher Stan Lee and DC Comics editorial director Carmine Infantino that there should be a feature film crossover featuring Spider-Man and Superman superman had a movie coming out which was superman the movie 1978 directed by richard donner and marvel was planning a series of spider-man tv movies that never actually happened uh, and plus making comic books is cheaper so they decided to make a comic about it instead in the story lex luther and dr octopus attempt to best superman and spider-man by kid- kidnapping lois lane and mary jane watson and the plan fails Go oh, figure. Yeah. There you
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Marvel Treasury Edition number 28, and it's worth mentioning these last two were both Treasury Editions as well. Yes. Uh, now, we have Marvel Treasury Edition number 28, Spider, Superman and Spider-Man, 1981, by Jim Shooter, Marv Wolfman, John Buscema, and John Romita Sr. on the cover yet again. While the first meeting of Superman and Spidey was a true collaboration between DC and Marvel, this one was largely handled by Marvel with DC's approval. Marv Wolfman plotted the book, and Jim Shooter wrote the script. This time, it would be Doctor Doom and Parasite as the bad guys, and uh, the Hulk and Wonder Woman would get involved as well. Uh, this is the first time that Superman would face off with the Hulk.
0: Yeah, these stories are not great for the most part. You know, they're it's really just like, how can we just have more characters appear in this story? Value yeah. added, but you know, it's it's cool to see regardless. Uh, DC DC special series number 27 Batman vs. The Incredible Hulk Fall 1981 cover by Len Wein and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Who also drew the cover on this one Now DC special series Is a name applied to a Kind of weird run of one shots and special issues Published between 1977 and 1981 Started out as a Bi-weekly title in 1977 Until spring of 1978 When it became quarterly The series went on hiatus after the fall of 1978 Issue and then it was revived in summer 1979 uh, DC Special Series Was published in four different formats Dollar hmm. Comics, 48 page Giants, Digests, the little tiny guys And Treasury Editions The huge ones yep. uh, the, D- the title DC Special Series Appears only on the first page In the indicia, So it's not like you're not going to find DC Special Series 1 through 27 or whatever It's, it's kind of a, vari- a batch of books Hmm. Uh, In this issue, in the the last issue of this DC special series, Bruce Banner is working for Wayne Tech, building a gamma ray gun. When the Joker steals the gun, Bruce hulks out, and he and Batman tangle with the Joker and... The Shaper of Worlds. It's, what, what a weird Marvel character!
1: Yeah, All right, he's, like you know. little, he's like a little, like a little walking go kart or something. <laughs> like, I, I remember John Byrne and Howard Mackey were gonna like undo the Spider-Man marriage with that thing. That,
0: that <laughs> was what, big, one of the, mean, that's, that's the It's like an all-powerful E-Man, and, or like a yeah. character from E-Man or something like this. Very weird. It's very very weird.
1: Uh, the next one: Marvel and DC present, featuring the Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans, number one from 1982. Written by Chris Claremont, art by Walt Simonson, who would also draw the cover. In 1982, Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans were the best-selling comics from Marvel and DC, respectively. And that was plenty enough reason for the teams t- to team up together in one book. Sure. In it, Darkseid res- resurrects the Dark Phoenix in order to pierce the source wall. And Deathstroke shows up as well in, like, his second or third appearance. <laughs> so
0: it's, it's so weird, though, because this is like a cosmic... Rearranging, you know, oh, yep. and and Deathstroke's here with his uh, his guns, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and it was only like his second or third appearance. It's yeah. uh, very weird. Now, in the end, what's left of Jean Grey's consciousness sacrifices itself.
0: Again, and all is set back to normal That's really what what has to happen Indeed In 1994, we got Batman Punisher Lake of Fire by Dennis O'Neill And Barry Kitson, who also did that cover This is a one-shot, square-bound Prestige format book uh, at this time, Bruce Wayne is in traction due to the events of nightfall, and the much more brutal and murderous Jean-Paul Jean Jean Paul Vallely, Vallely, sorry, a.k.a. Azriel, is temporarily wearing the cape and cowl. And that brutality works just fine for the Punisher. That's kind of his aesthetic.
1: That's not all from the two of these guys, though. We've got, we had Batman Punisher, now we have Punisher Batman. Deadly Knights number... Uh from 1994, I should say, yep. by Chuck Dixon and John Romita Jr., who also did the cover. The Punisher meets up with Batman once again, but again, this is, Bruce Wayne has recuperated and beaten uh, John Paul Valley out of the costume. Uh, the Punisher doesn't like Batman's new fighting style, especially the non-lethal part, and so he assumes Batman is schizophrenic.
0: Which actually also works for him. He's like, well, I guess sure. he's schizophrenic, we can still work together. You know, I'm, I am the, <laughs> But the, the thing about these, what I liked about this, and it made me think about the one we read today, the uh, Spider-Man, Batman, is this is dealing. This is almost like Marvel's reaction to uh, Batman continuity. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's actually like it's affecting you know in a you know kind of contained way. The Punisher, but then the one we read today, it didn't seem to matter. You know, I don't know. If that's yeah. just The uh, consistency was not the they, order. They played. Of the
1: with, day. They played the ball where it laid there. In that I, one. yeah. Was, I,
0: yeah, I guess they had yeah. They had different ideas for different stories or whatever. So. Just interesting. Anyway, so next one was Darkseid vs. Galactus, The Hunger, 1995, by John Byrne on everything. Galactus, (laughs) the world eater, finds a planet that he thinks will sate his endless hunger. Apocalypse. Darkseid is understandably not okay with this planet being eaten, and so there is a conflict. Yes. John Byrne actually credits a fan with this idea. Yes, I will repeat that. John Byrne actually credits... A fan Uh, He says, I was at a con, don't recall which one And the fan approached and said he had an idea for a DC Marvel crossover Galactus tries to eat Apocalypse I was sitting next to George Perez at the time And we looked at each other with a kind of Why didn't we think of that expressions on our faces
1: he continues, flying home, the more I thought about it, the more I realized what a great idea it was. Especially if I could convince the powers that were that it should only be Darkseid and Galactus, and not the Fantastic Four verse New Gods or any other such expanded version. I pitched the idea to DC, who immediately liked it and set the wheels in motion. Then I embarked upon the difficult task of finding the fan so I could give him proper credit. And indeed, if you were to look at the inside front cover, it includes a note which reads, With special thanks to Mark Gallanis McFinn, who one day said to me, Galactus tries to
0: eat Apocalypse. And how much of the royalties did he make? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm just curious. So next one was Green Lantern, Silver Surfer, Unholy Alliances, 1995 by Ron Mars and Daryl Banks. This is a one-shot. It shoves a lot of characters into the other publisher's universe. Thanos comes to the DCU with a weapon that requires Kyle Rayner's power ring to set, start it up. For fun, Thanos sends Cyborg Superman to the Marvel universe and Terax to the DC universe. Parallax follows Cyborg Superman to Marvel's continuity and wrestles with the Silver Surfer. Mm. So, little dosy doing of characters in that oh. one. Then the biggie.
1: DC vs. Marvel slash Marvel vs. DC, a four-issue miniseries in 1996, written by Ron Mars and Peter David, uh, also with art by Dan Jurgens and Claudio Castellini. In it, two ancient and celestial brothers awake after eons of slumber, and they endeavor to determine which of their universes is the strongest by pitting their greatest champions together in a series of battles. Now, this series had an out-of-continuity component in that the winners were determined by readers vote, which is very strange. Yeah. Uh, now, though the uh, Marvel Universe won, uh, this thing created the character Access and turned out to be the prelude to the amalgam age of comics.
0: Yeah, it was all just that. Although, it, I can't remember, there was like seven or nine conflicts so there was yeah. there was no way that it could ever work out even. There was going to be one one side was going to Somebody
1: gonna win. was going to win. So yeah, a for pub, sure. the
0: other publisher was just yeah. going to pack it up like it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> but uh, then we got the first of the amalgam age of comics or maybe we we're still in the amalgam age, I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> the beginning of the amalgam age of comics in 1996 to prevent the destruction of either universe, the Spectre and the Living Tribunal create the amalgam universe. Access, who's a gatekeeper between the two universes, recruits these amalgamated characters to save everything and everyone by reversing the smushing together of intellectual properties. Dr. Strange Fate, who is Dr. Strange and Dr. Fate smashed together, is also aware of what has happened, and he wants the amalgamated universe to stick around. This led to a series of books published under the Amalgam Comics label, which purported to have been around for a while, referencing continuity from older issues, even with captions and... Stuff I, I really dug that part of it. Mm-hmm.
1: And going back to Marvel vs. DC, we had a uh, Superman versus the Hulk, Captain America versus Batman, Wonder Woman versus Storm, Wolverine versus Lobo, which was the big one at my comic shop, <laughs> and uh, Superboy versus Spider-Man. So what is that? Tough. There's one, two, three, four. If there're five, so okay. yeah, there
0: was gonna be a winner. You have there to have a winner. a winner. There you go. I knew. I knew it was some odd number. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely, and uh, I remember at the comic shop, uh, people were saying, if this was real life, Lobo would beat Wolverine. Was the the big joke, but uh
0: Yeah. alas, uh, uh, <laughs> I wish I wish we could say that was a joke, but I've heard that phrase so many times. Yeah. <laughs> if this was real life, anyway.
1: <laughs> On to the next one. Here we've got Silver Surfer Superman, uh, November nineteen ninety six by George Perez and Ron Lim. In it, Superman, Silver Surfer, and the Impossible Man team up to take down the wily fifth dimensional imp, Mister Mizzies Piddleck.
0: I mean, this is something I could have written. This is sure. It really <laughs> sounds like a great one. <laughs>
1: Got <laughs> uh, Batman and Captain America from 1996 by John Byrne. In it, Captain America and Bucky are sent to Gotham City to stop the machinations of the Red Skull. While there, they team up with Batman and help him dispatch the Joker as well.
0: It's nothing for those two. They, you know, yeah. While they're on there, while, while you wait, we'll dispatch the Joker. <laughs> uh, Daredevil, Batman, Eye for an Eye came out January 1997. Covered by D. G. Chichester and Scott McDaniel. Batman and Daredevil joined forces to take down Two-Face and Mr. Hyde. In this issue, we learned that Matt Murdock and Harvey Dent knew each other before half of Dent's face and mind went all ugly.
2: Hmm.
1: We've got DC Marvel colon, All Access, a four-issue uh, limited series, December 1996 through February 1997 cover dates by Ron Mars and Jackson Geis. This is a miniseries starring Axel Asher access Whoa. Yes, this is a character co-owned by marvel and dc comics who had the ability to travel between the two universes he only appeared in one non-co-branded uh, comic book and that was a very brief bit in green lantern volume three number 87 from june 1997 He's probably never going to be seen again. Uh, he didn't even get a mention in the JLA Avengers crossover we'll be discussing in a bit. Uh, yeah. uh, but, you know, Stranger Things have happened. Yeah, but if
0: was uh, going to be anywhere, it would be there. He would right? at least would get a mention. So, but, yeah.
1: uh, I figure maybe in a quarter century we'll have a three-part Weird Comics History series on exploring the mysteries of Axis. Maybe.
0: That'd be
1: cool. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, the second wave of Amalgam in 1997. It's Once again, a whole lot of mix. Mixed up comics.
0: Yeah, we we will cover amalgam, I think someday. So I'm, um, I'm sure we've. We'll, yeah. We decided to leave keep those you know mashups a secret, but uh <laughs> they're wacky. Batman and Spider-Man: New Age Dawning came out in 1997 by JMD Mateus and Graham Nolan. To help him destroy the world, Ra's al Ghul infects the Kingpin's wife Victoria Fisk with a cancer that only he can cure. The Kingpin has a chart change of heart anyway and tips off Batman and Spider-Man about the plot. Once thwarted, Ray Shagul reveals he never had the cure anyway. He's just a prankster, that guy, now I tell you. What are you going
1: to do with him? Uh, we've, uh, we've got Incredible Hulk vs. Superman, 1999, by Roger Stern and Steve Rude. In it, Superman fights the Hulk and then teams up with the Hulk against another Hulk, uh, a Hulk created by General Ross and Lex Luthor. I mean, I mean, how many how many Hulk's we need here? we got one. What is? One should plenty, be good. I think. Come yeah. on. <laughs>
0: Uh, Superman Fantastic Four The Infinite Destruction, 1999 By Dan Jurgens. From a recovered snippet of recording By his father jor L., Superman learns That Galactus was the cause of Krypton's Destruction. He enlists the Fantastic Four and their expertise to help find Galactus And take him to Court, I guess? I mean, you know, once yeah. Found, Superman is teleported to, Gal- to Galactus to be his new herald Cyborg Superman is jealous, so he teams up with the FF to help Superman, that is, to steal as much of Galactus' power for himself. Long story short, he fails. (laughs) It's an interesting team-up, though, since Cyborg Superman's human identity, or even people call him that now Hank Henshaw and his family had the same bombarded by cosmic rays origin as the Fantastic Four, but while these rays gave the first family superpowers, Henshaw is the only one to survive from his crew, if you can call his state of affairs surviving. But they sure. do they do address that in the in the book that, you know Henshaw's there are parallels, to, yeah. Yeah, there's but they're supposed to be kind of like a jokey take on it that Dan Jurgens made into this horrifying <laughs> robot monster, you know, so mm-hmm. it's cool.
1: Yes, uh, we've got Batman Daredevil, King of New York Came out in 2000 by Alan Grant and Eduardo Barreto This time, the Dark Knight and Matt Murdock take down the Kingpin and Scarecrow You can probably guess what you know the evil plan was involving Scarecrow Since, you know, he only has the one gimmick uh...
0: yeah. Fear, fear <laughs> Gas or Gotham, that's about it I yeah. think that's it
1: <laughs> uh, We've got JLA Avengers or Avengers JLA 1-4 through 4, Came out in 2003 by Kurt Busiek and George Perez But, before we get to that, we got to go back to 1979, when DC and Marvel agreed to co-publish a crossover series involving these two teams. It was going to be written by Jerry Conway and drawn by George Perez. Roy Thomas was hired on to script the book. Although work had begun on the series in 1981, Perez had penciled 21 pages by mid-1983, and it was scheduled for publication in May 1983. Editorial disputes, reportedly instigated by Jim Shooter, prevented the story from being completed.
0: To Sci-Fi.com in 2018, Kurt Busiek explained the problem with the first one was really a matter of personality clash. Dick's style of editing was let's just get this mo- let's just get moving and we'll fix it along the way. Dick Giordano, as a long, long-time award-winning inker, didn't believe there was any comic book you couldn't fix in the inks. And Jim Shooter was a very intellectually driven writer who wanted it all in the outline. If it wasn't in the outline, it was wrong. So Dick was like, yeah, okay, we have a plot, maybe bits of that don't make sense, but we'll fix it as we go along. And Jim was like, no, you can't start until you have an outline that works.
1: It took a change in management, well, several changes in management, really, before they got the ball rolling again. Editor Tom Brevoort explains to SciFi.com, at the time, Joe Quesada had been installed as Marvel's new EIC, and he was working through a program he referred to as unfinished business, creative relationships that had fallen on hard times, projects that had never been completed as a result of some difficulty or another, that sort of thing. And so at a given point he asked me why the JLA Avengers project hasn't happened back hadn't happened back in the day. I gave him a rundown and he said, okay, go make it happen.
0: Now the plan was to have Mark Wade, who was writing the JLA for DC at the time, and Kurt Busiek, writing Avengers for Marvel, would co-write the story. But in the time that the two companies spent hashing out the details, Mark Wade signed an exclusive contract with CrossGen, so only Busiek would write this crossover series. George Perez had also an exclusive contract with CrossGen, but apparently not that exclusive.
1: Actually, there was a clause that he could do pages for this specific crossover if and when it was finally approved. Uh, that I wonder if they thought it was never going to
0: happen. Yeah, they were just like, sure, <laughs> like that's yeah, a whatever. safe bet. Yeah, You got it. <laughs> whatever
1: you want. Uh, the story, in a nutshell, is that Krona, the disgraced Owen, was uh, wandering around the multiverse destroying it <laughs> now, when he came across the Grandmaster and the Marvel Universe. Now, the Grandmaster offers a deal, pitting their greatest champions against one another. Just before beginning, Krona uh, insists that they switch champions so that the Avengers must lose their conflicts in order to cha- to save the universe. Hmm. It's uh, pretty tam-fisted, don't you think?
0: Yeah, a little, a little silly, a little, uh, you know... Convenient, but that's fine. You know, we, we don't we sure. don't come to these kind of crossovers for the heady story and the uh, you know deep prose. It's to watch our favorite when heroes I, punch I, the I, out I each sp- other.
1: I spoke to a uh, about this one a few years ago, and he said like the biggest problem they had from DC was they couldn't have Hal Jordan and Barry Allen in it because they're gone and they're never ever ever coming back. Mm-hmm. And
0: that's exactly how it happened. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> with all with that great success, I mean, there were some really good titles in there. Uh, you know, at least even even the silly ones were interesting sure. to see these people matched up and the creative teams handling them. It was a sometimes. novelty, yeah. Uh, but then you wonder why we haven't seen any since this JLA Avengers, and that is the the most recent one. Uh, 2000, what was it? Six three? Sorry,
1: 2003. 2003.
0: Yeah. So it's been 15 years. Uh, well. In an interview with the New York Observer that ran in the April 28, 2002 issue, Marvel's editor-in-chief said, "Uh, I mean, they have Batman and Superman, and they don't know what to do with them. That's like being a porn star with the biggest dink, and you can't get it up. What the fork? And that was right when the first Spider-Man movie directed by Sam Raimi debuted in theaters. Uh, Paul Levitz, then the president of DC, was said to be incensed by this quote, as well as Bill Jemis' smarmy style in general. Rumor has it that when Jemis was promoted to vice president of Marvel, Paul Levitz called his bosses and tried to get him fired. Yikes.
1: Uh, Head of sales Bob Wayne furthered this conflict at a Brian Michael Bendis panel at the 2004 San Diego Comic Con, where much of this bad blood was brought into the open. Levitz and Jemis are no longer the bosses of their respective publishers, but... We still see uh, no no collaborations on the horizon. Even Kasada,
0: uh, what does he? I think he just draws now, right? He's
1: like a chief chief
0: creative officer, oh, yeah, or something. Well, sure. Well. Uh,
1: yeah, but at this point, you know, both companies have their own editorial problems to work out before concerning themselves with other publishers'
0: books. And that is true. I, I,
1: there's also that that corporate aspect of it. I think it's true. Might
0: uh, in that 2003, Disney, this. Disney did not own. You're right, did not own Marvel. Yeah. So now that the it's now Disney versus Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and those two do not play nicely together. But no, no, no. Uh, anyway, maybe maybe we've had enough of the crossovers. If you really think about it, <laughs> uh, how many times do we need to see that? So. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, if you have any ideas about these crossovers or crossovers you would have liked to see, the issue we read today, or you want to really get a list of those amalgam comics, you can write to us at History at gmail.com. Uh, we do have a Patreon that just opened up you this do. week, and we're going to be mentioning it. It is patreon.com slash Chris and Reggie. If you want to head over there, there's not really a whole lot uh, offered uh, just yet. <laughs> just yet. We've got ideas for things, but you know, if you want to chip in, we do a lot of spend a lot of time on research on this thing, and it would sure be a big help to get materials and do things like that.
1: Absolutely. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash History. You can also check us out on Instagram at Cosmic T Mill. If I can, if I can figure out how to use it.
0: Yeah, well, you can. When you, the audience can. I don't know if you will ever yes, check it out yourself. I, I might first. not be able to find it. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're on Twitter at Cosmic T Mill, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie.
1: I'm at Ace Comics. Uh, You can check out our weekly writings of new DC comics and some retro reviews as well at weirdsciencedccomics.com. We're also up in bits and pieces of their uh, weekly podcast as well.
0: That's right. Uh, And you can check out Chris's personal blog, where he does a daily review of a DC comic from any time. In their history, uh, at, weird, at uh, Chris is on infinite dot uh, He's been doing a different review, a new review every day for almost a thousand straight days. But almost a thousand. There's been something weird with the social media folks, where for some reason Chris's posts are not appearing to his regular uh, viewers. So yeah, head over to yeah. the site. You might have missed a whole batch of them. There's some <laughs> it's possible great, great stuff going on up there. Chris is on InfiniteEarth's dot You can
1: also check out the show site, weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, where you can find all of our show notes, all of our images, all of our links. Also, chronological listing of the uh, Cosmic Treadmill episodes, Weird Comics History episodes, all sorts of fun stuff. We're going to have more shows launching, so you'll be able to find all the information on that over at weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com. Uh, before we go, we want to definitely thank Christopher Hayden for the suggestion for this book. Yeah, uh, it's been a long time coming doing one of these uh, intercompany crossovers, so it's uh, it's a lot of fun to do.
0: Absolutely, I think this is our first one, isn't it? Uh, I think that we I that think we've it done might be. On show. Uh, yeah. yeah, I had, I had a real good time with it. It was I definitely uh, came out of thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be another '90s <laughs> slog, and it was it was a little bit of that, but it was it was truly like a good time. So uh, sure. Thanks a lot, Christopher. We uh, we appreciate it and. Uh, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? I think that'll do it. Well, till next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill. Crossover liciously.
1: See ya. As we stroll along together,
0: holding hands, walking all along. Ooh-wee-doo.
1: so in love, so love. Two, so, so in love As we stroll